Yeah, I'm just gonna let me keep this up on this as I maybe bid on this book. Nice. What book is it? That's Man in the High Castle. Oh, I thought the other day I was gonna steal Phil, Phil, Phil Dick. No, Roth. <laughs> Philip K. Dick. Oh shoot! It is. Wait, or is it? No, Philip Roth is um, uh, Plot Against America. Doesn't he have a castle one too? No, but it, the plot against America is a was not, made into a it's the same show thing. that's called this The Man in the High Castle. No, they're different authors. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's Philip Roth's Plot Against America has the cover has a Nazi right swastika on it. Uh-huh. Same as so I I confuse the two books right, um, but they're not the same. And they're both Phil, and they're both Phil. One's Phil and Dick. <laughs> <laughs> the other one is Phil Roth. <laughs> Phil Roth. Yeah, so I was watching a copy of that the other day on eBay for it was at one fifty with a day left and it was a first edition, like good condition. Damn. And I was like, there's no way this makes it to to the to the end of its bid because the person posting it never set a reserve mm. price mm. on the book, and one fifty is super low. Even three hundred would be super low. It had to go to five hundred to be even close to what's that book's worth. What is the most expensive book that you've seen floating around eBay? Uh, eBay, yeah. Um, Oscar Wilde. I forget what it was. First edition signed, sixty grand. Mm. But I'm sure that there's more. There's this there's this store in Manhattan called Manhattan Rare Books, and that's where they have that James Joyce for 1.3 million. Oh wow! <laughs> signed, inscribed, really verified. Yeah. Wow. There's probably only like 10 signed Joyce books. Do they keep it in a vault? They have to. Oh yeah. I mean, imagine owning something like that. You'd have to. I'd never leave my house. Why I'd just like stand in my house with a gun all the time. Yeah. No, I guess you would do it. Just because you can. Just because you can. If I was like, why not? a wealthy man, I would own stuff like that, of course. For sure. Um, yeah, there's also the uh, first edition Hobbit, which is beautiful, mm. at that place for half a million, signed by Tolkien. Really? Mm-hmm. Half a million. I suppose it would be it would be kind of fun to like have your castle, which is also your art museum. And to set up all the security and oh. to guard it. Like, it would be its own game that you could play every day. Look at, um, you've been to the Biltmore, right? Yeah. Look at the library and the artwork that guy oh, had. Oh, man. That's what I would do. Yeah, of and course. So, we talked about this before. The the, the, rich, the rich, the nouveau, nouveau mm. rich in America. They have no taste. So the, all these people Except with so much for the money. Biltmore people Did have some taste At least Well in they were old money They've become old money In America now They're in no, The they're Vanderbilt money, yeah. families They were at the time new But mm-hmm. They were still tradition Oriented So they The they only were, thing that was not really That great Was probably their Culinary taste 
At least uh, from, from kitchen's pretty cool. on first pass. The kitchen is amazing. Yeah, no, no, no. You have the no. last one. I insist. I've had I've had a handful. Have you really? Yeah. Oh, you right. can have it. I actually always take the last fry in the basket. <laughs> That's good. You want to be that guy. <laughs> well, because no one else is going to do it. Well, Somebody's yeah. got to do it. Might yeah. as well be me. I prefer not to. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. American uh, Sublime. Here we are. Episode 18. Yeah, we're going to talk today about Bartleby the Scribner by Herman Melville. Occupying Wall Street. Occupying Wall Street. <laughs> the the OG will occupy, occupy, occupation of Wall Street. When was this book or this story written? Uh, I don't. I don't know that I have the answer to that. I know that Moby Dick is eighteen fifty five. I think. Between 1852 and 1856, and he was living on his farm called Arrowhead in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. That's that's interesting. I'm, huh? I spent a, I've spent a lot of time in Pittsfield, Mass. That's, really? Yeah, my my band was from there. Explains a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I too have love letters to <laughs> Nathaniel Hawthorne's ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I read some of those this morning, a little bit of those this morning. His Damn. love letters to Creepy. Nathaniel. Hawthorne. He's a little weird, a little awkward. Hawthorne or, or Melville? Melville. I don't think Hawthorne was into that. No, he wasn't. And he, as far as know, I know, Melville's like, I wish I had wine and time alone with you to meander barefoot in the meadows. And it's like, listen, man, that's that's cool and all, but that's not felt back. A little strong, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, quite interesting. He he wanted to have like a Quipeg thing. Yes, I think that that was well, Quipeg was a savage. Yeah, Moby Dick. So who's the savage? Probably Hawthorne. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a little homoerotic. For sure, it. of course. Right? It was. Yeah. I mean. I don't know. They lay in the There's bed. There's really no other explanation. They don't. There's nothing explicitly said because you know, for the time, it wouldn't have been accepted. But it's there-ish. Oh, it's definitely there, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, overtly so, I would say. I haven't read Moby Dick in a long time, but but yeah. Well, so Bartleby, the Scribner. I was my idea to read this. True. I thought it was. I've always enjoyed the story, but today, especially as I'm going back through it, I couldn't help but laugh. It was pretty funny. I thought it was hilarious. It's just funny. Yeah. You know, you've got the the narrator just begins. The lawyer. The lawyer begins by saying, "He, oh, I've always sought an easy life. I never wanted to go before a judge and have to prove a case. I've just kind of like to transfer wealth for people. And yeah. I don't want to put too much effort into anything. <clears throat> right." And so that's the first detail you get of the narrator is like he's not into trying very hard, mm-hmm. and um, that sets the tone for sort of how he perceives Bartleby to be, right? And also how he approaches Bartleby, right? Or doesn't. Um, is this your first time reading? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and I'll probably read it again in a few years because I have a book, very old book. I don't know when it was printed. Had to be early between nineteen hundred and nineteen. I don't know thirty. The latest, 
but it's a collection of Melville's tales. Mm. And it's just very old. It's falling apart. Really? Yes. Yeah, nice so, copy. Well, or the copy it used to be. Oh. It used to be. It's still intact. I'll sell it to you for a pretty penny. I know how much you like these ancient books. I don't know if I want any old Melville. I don't but need it. I'll show it to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyhow, so I will read them at some point. The yeah. next, the next Melville piece I want to read is actually uh, Billy Bud. <laughs> no, gosh, what's it's the t- Bell Tower? No, it's the, like the South Sea Tales that he did. I forget what it's called. He wrote a lot. He was pretty. I have it saved somewhere. I have the actual book next to my bed. I'm forgetting the title, but it's this love story. These two guys go down to the South Pacific. It's not between them, but them and the native ladies. And uh, <laughs> I immediately thought it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is you. We're, we're like coming off of Hawthorne Melville, but anyway. Um, I so I will read this again, but my initial thoughts are that it, it's I don't know it's kind of there's like a whole, a tinge or a large sheen of irony over the whole thing over Barleby yeah Scrivener yeah he's he's a dropout he's like he's dropped out he's dropped out yeah and, and he's also squatting mm-hmm and but not initially no not initially no initially doesn't really go over how he comes to hire him. He just kind of hires him, and he says, <clears throat> you know, he says, here are my other employees, Ginger Nut, the 12-year-old, yeah. who, you know, runs errands for me, Yeah, goes to the post office, and then he goes and buys cakes for everybody. Yeah. Ginger Nuts, they call the cake. So, yeah. Okay, and then you've got um, uh, um, Turkey. Mm-hmm. And turkeys. Uh, one of the other two guys is angry in the morning and pleasant in the afternoon. Right. And the other one's pleasant in the right. afternoon, or pleasant in the morning and angry in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the. So they stagger the work. They stagger it. So, but he's sort of. So in that, that's letting you know that he's observed behaviors. And yes. That he's he's sort of allocated how behaviors work. Right down to managing how the ink is dispersed and how mm-hmm. you know, or how you send people out or. Watching people melt down in the afternoon versus melt down in the morning, and and he just doesn't really see those those other workers as fully people, mm-hmm. um, and they're not. Yeah, a big part of that though, I think, is because the way that they view him, mm-hmm. he doesn't actually respect them because they always say with submission, with submission, sir. Yeah, it's like kind of pathetic, you know. Because when he asks them, "What should I do with Bartleby?" Because he's always asking them for some reason. They yeah. say, "With submission, sir." Like I say in reverence to you because mm-hmm. I'm below you. Yes. And then he's just kind of like, ah, oh, these people. But then Bartleby's like, I just don't, I don't feel like it. Dude. Yeah. And then even less than that, eventually he just stops saying anything, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's just this funny because it's this scenario that I think anybody who's worked for anybody else, which is I think everybody, mm-hmm. has had that fantasy of just telling their boss they're not going to do something. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And sometimes you know, people in a position of authority do need to be opposed. But um, the story is. Not uncommon 
I was reading this book of New Yorker magazine articles a few years ago, all written by an Irish woman named Maeve Brennan. Mm, cool name. And I think she wrote a lot in the 50s and 60s, I think it was. And uh, she, was, she had a beautiful mind. She was so observant. She was almost like a street photographer in the way that she wrote about mm. the New York streets and her little, these little, little vignettes all over the city. Is she Irish-American <clears throat> or, or Irish-Irish? Irish-Irish, but she came to America and when she was a kid. And uh, she wrote beautifully. She was like a basically a society girl in the part of the literati mm. of the time. But she had a number of divorces and... Um, Many such cases. Yeah. And eventually she, like, lost everything. Um, she had been, you know, really dependent on her various husbands. But when the relationships ended, she didn't come away with very much. And she ended up living in the offices of the New Yorker. And they would let her, like, shower in the bathroom and, like, sleep under the desks. And she was kind of homeless there for a while. Hmm. Uh, but then she went crazy. And she, I think she spent the remainder of her days, or at least a portion of them, in, in and out of mental... You think it was the, the office itself that drove her to madness? I don't think so. Think I think it was probably the the bad relationships and then maybe the shame. Hmm. Although I do think an office can drive you to madness. Sure. That mundane block space, no very yeah, little maybe. windows, walls are all white, it's like a dentist's yeah. office in there. I don't know too much about the culture of the New Yorker. I've read... A little bit. It's not the culture of, of the New Yorker. It's the culture of the office building. True. The office building itself, you've even said this, is a whole entire separate concept. True. It doesn't matter which build business it is. It doesn't, um, or which entity is running it. It's it's true. It's almost there to defang you. For sure. Yeah, it is this faceless edifice, um, which will be formational. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I told my boss when I was up at the office last week, I said, Kate, I'm just being real. If I had to work here every day, I wouldn't work here. <laughs> I, I told her, I, yeah. I'm, just, I'm like, I'm going to be honest, you know, I just, I couldn't do it. It's a nice yeah. office. The company's good to its yeah. workers. There's a sure. cafeteria built in. It's, nice. It's nice. It's yeah. a nice building. It's clean. It's well, yeah. But you're in your little... But Yeah, and it's just mentally debilitating. To, I, yeah. I, to, for all of the... However long... I mean, 100 years of American sort of office industry or whatever we've had. There were people who lived and died by those little squares. Yeah. We're, we're, now we're, it's being shattered. And then they got put into other little squares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, now the product is people themselves. Right. Not so much just their... They're, uh, like the office, you, the good thing about it was you're still not the product. Mm -hmm. They're extracting something else from you, which is your, like, you know, your labor. But it's like sort of the transitional thing between traditional labor, which is manual. Then you have the office, which is 
sort of like extracting your psyche. Yeah. <laughs> but now with people being the product, they're just mining you completely. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what the phone does. That's mm-hmm. what TikTok does. That's what all these right. Instagram does. If I mentioned to you, hey, man, like, uh, saw this really cool motorcycle today. It was, uh, I you know, know. it was, it was uh, this kind. Well, now an our ad. ads are going to be that. Right, tonight. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, they target you all day. We'll also get the New Yorker. The New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, um, Bartleby in this story is really, he's um, part of that transition, I think. Is that he's, uh, he's no longer laboring. And it's entirely the psyche mm-hmm. that's at work there. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's sort of between the, so you go manual labor to office labor to extraction of basically the mind and your personal life, mm-hmm. which is what we're now in. But mm-hmm. between that is sort of this Bartleby kind of thing where it's his personal life is now entwined yes. in the office space, whereas the turkey and the other guy, I can't remember his name, but the yeah. one, they're very much still in the middle realm. Yeah. Of in- like, instead of work from home, it's live from office. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's part of that. <clears throat> Which, you know, it's funny because the work from home thing, you can't actually get away, you can't actually entertain the idea of what Bartleby does in this as a work from home worker. You can try and pull it off, but they can watch you. Oh, yeah. Do they really? Yeah, they do. They watch yeah. the computer. They, you know. No, I'm just saying, do they have the camera on? No, no, no I don't think so. <laughs> you should try it. You should put a... You can block it. A little, yeah, block it and see what they say. No, you can. There's a little shutter. Oh, there's a shutter. Yeah, there's a shutter. Um, <clears throat> I mean, probably like scratch my face once in a while. <laughs> I'm twitchy as hell. Yeah. But, <clears throat> but yeah. So... Well, they can see if your computer has any action going on. on yeah. It, right. Yeah, green check. Yeah. You know, it, it is what it is. For sure. Um, which, you know, it's funny because companies have found that their work-from-home situations have made their companies more money. Mm. So it's funny to see uh, all of the these people, these, you know, unqualified CEOs or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of them are, whatever. But they're like, we're going to get people back in the office just to show them. It's like, show them what? Your company's going to be less productive. I thought the whole point was productivity and money to you people. Right, right. Now you just want to, like, flex on your workforce? Doesn't make any sense. That's odd. Whereas my company said, that's going really well for us. We're just going to keep doing this. Yeah. (laughs) Duh. Yeah, why not? Why not? We're not losing any productivity this way. We've actually gained it. So Interesting. Stay home. Yeah. Well, stay. you don't need to commute. Commute is a lot, or it can be a lot. Well, you're. Yeah, it can be a lot. It's a lot on everything. Yeah. It's a lot on your vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's a lot on the roads. Mm-hmm. It's traffic. It's stress before you before and after work. Yep. Um, the one, yeah, which you're a big proponent of, you know, public transit systems. But yeah, I like I like public transit, but yeah. Even so, I I think that a, a short commute where you can walk maybe to just to the kitchen. <laughs> it's so nice, dude. Is ideal. It's really nice if you know. There's a coworker I have. He 
I've watched this. I, I like. I I look in my left hand panel and see when people come on and when they're on. And he starts late. He comes in at like ten fifteen, and he's nice. he's like, I, I just like to. He works the whole day. Yeah. Till like into the six o'clock hour. Nice. That's not for me though. When do you start? Uh, I love to get a seven a.m. start. Dang. But uh, there have been times I've started at five thirty six. There have been times I start. I know later than eight. I like to be the first one on. Interesting. So I can get the hell out of there eventually. Uh, That's good. Just bounce at four and go on a ride or something. But <clears throat> anyway, nice. go off to Bagatelle. Sometimes, yeah, Bagatelle books. Shout out, yeah, yeah. Went there today, but um, yeah. So so Bartleby, uh, let's just start at the beginning, right? Yeah, go ahead. I don't know if I mentioned this already, but but the narrator he comes in, he's, he's sort of, and we talked about this before the cast, but he comes in, he's he's saying, look, uh, I'm not a guy who likes to try very hard in life. Not really an emotional guy. I don't want too many hurdles. I like the easy life. There's some philosophy at work there, saying mm-hmm. the easiest road is the road I should I want to take. I don't know whose philosophy that is. Probably some postmodern schmucks I don't know whatever but um, <clears throat> so he tells you a lot about himself right away he's like yeah. Yeah, I like to kind of just like make money without much effort and that puts him in a position of you know at some point there's going to be a roadblock f- for you yeah because you're not just going to have it easy right yeah so uh so I think that that's funny. What what, did, what do you think of our narrator? I like him. You like him? Yeah. Tell me, what, you, what do you like about him? Uh, he's, I mean, I like his, uh, his laziness. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally uh, subversive. It's countercultural. You think he's subversive? Of course. The narrator? Yeah. Because you have this whole Protestant work ethic, especially at that time, that defines what it be what it means to be American. And he's kind of like, yeah, I just am not interested in that. I want to just do nothing and be as efficient as possible in the money th- in making the money that I make. And uh, I think it, that's actually a lost art where people. Work smarter, not harder. Work smarter, not harder, but also they're like, they're not uh, consumed with work as a like a, a like working hard as a badge of honor mm. or something like that. It, it's it's kind of like the cult of, but we're kind of getting out of it now. Where for maybe the two thousand tens, everyone was like, "Yeah, I'm just so exhausted." all the time I'm just working all the time I just have no energy like hustle 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 culture basically we have a lot of that and it's now, like but it's it's people that's want, kind people, of I don't know now you have the tired person who's not hustling you're like what has made you tired <laughs> right well the whole world I'll say but um, I like the narrator I he's a thoughtful man he uh, his his passivity is considered he's considering mm. his world and his relationship to Bar- Bartleby um, such a weird name you never say that name 
I think, yeah, and I think that you have to like him because it sets you up for his journey mm. with how he handles and doesn't handle Bartleby. Right. And, you know, um, because of that attitude and disposition, he's able to have this sort of playful exchange with Bartleby that it, it at first it riles him up and then he goes, well, maybe... You know, he doesn't eat because, you know, he's a poor, this poor guy, you know. He, he, yeah, yeah. Every single thing that Bartleby does, that first, like, mm, he's like, no, it's, it's a lot of work to feel anger. So instead, oh, maybe I'll give him a little money and, you know, yeah, right, I'll, I'll right, see right. if I can find his relatives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then he goes and talks to him, and then the next thing happens. It's, it's, um, it's like a comedy of errors, really. Yeah. Uh, you know well it's also interesting that Bartleby doesn't really explain himself he doesn't at all ever no yeah and I like that I like and I've been thinking about this lately I don't have like some diatribe on it but just thinking about the concept of animal response to situations because we live in a culture that for a long time has been very logocentric Mm -hmm. as in we have to describe everything like I'm feeling this way and since I'm feeling this way I need to justify my feelings via language and if I can come up with the right collection of language to describe the way I'm feeling then the way I'm feeling is justified that's basically the argument but I don't know I think there's something to be said for not putting the the thing into language necessarily and instead just letting it be the feeling and you could be in a situation um, where maybe you're angry or you're morose you're sad you're in love some situation and it's in relation to some other person and they say something your response could be with language or it could be with something that's just an embodied response Mm. it's not necessarily language and you can trust the other person's going to understand it because maybe there's something ineffable about your response something beyond words and uh and maybe it's good, or it can be good, to just let things be beyond words, to not try to fit them into some kind of set of propositions. And so I like Bartleby for that, where a lot of his response is, I mean, at most, I prefer not to. You're right. Sometimes but, he says a little beyond Sure. It, very little. But he's responding to a certain situation and the context puts the burden of interpretation on, exactly on the lawyer say. yeah he, which he's so the whole story is about the lawyer yeah and his him, him interpreting trying to figure out yeah which is it does this guy have family does this guy right, right. does he eat he finds some cheese in his desk he's like oh you know it's he, not just ginger Bartleby is kind of like an animal in he, that respect he just um, he sleeps on the couch in the office the best a non-human the, animal the, at the least part, the part of this that's really funny is it really it really is almost like a you can almost picture <laughs> George from Seinfeld playing the lawyer 
Yeah. And like getting locked out of his own office and being like, what, what the? <laughs> and like not actually having any power. You true, know, true. And you know, answers the door. He unlocks it. Uh, it's going to be about five minutes. Why don't you take a walk? And uh, <laughs> it's like, imagine just coming home to your house and seeing somebody in it. Yeah. And they're like, uh, it's going to be, we just need like 10 more minutes with the space. Right. <laughs> You'd be like, this is my house. Right. And, uh, and so it's really fun, but it does it in such a comical way that that's really the only moment in the story that Bartleby it's that he tells you authority isn't something he even rejects. It's something he doesn't recognize at all. Yeah. It's not, it's not about rejecting authority. He's not like a yeah. punk, really. He's right. not sitting in there like uh, protesting. Right. He just is like, there's no reason for me to. He's like, I don't understand why I would ever listen to you. And like, there's just no, doesn't cross his mind that yeah. there's a hierarchy. Yeah. At all. The yeah. other the other characters are so obsessed with their place in the hierarchy. Right. That's why they use that with submission, sir. Right. Language to indicate to the boss that you're the boss, you know. And, right. And uh, it's funny because that's there. Uh, there are tinges of that in almost every office. I think. Yeah. People see the, the the head of the company come come down to their office sometimes, and it's oh, it's so good. It's so good to see you. You know. There's you know. And then Bartleby would be that guy in the corner who's just like, oh, I didn't even notice this guy walked in. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and I just think that's funny. Uh, because it, it's... The question, I guess, is, yeah, is it rejection? Or is it just... Nah, I don't feel any like obligation. There's a difference between the two. Because we talked about it as Occupy Wall Street. Right, right. Occupy Wall Street was uh, was a protest. Occupy Wall Street was, was um, you know, physically. I remember the beginning of that. People setting up ten- tents in the park. Tents and living in the oh, tents. Oh, yeah. They did months of it. I'm, the, I know. Uh, left-wing protests were very committed at one point to them. Yeah. And it was a legitimate cause, in my opinion. Wall Street, yeah. this was right after sort of, you know, a lot of the things with the with the crash and the housing market crash and then they just got bailed out. Right. I like, that was pretty cool in a lot of ways. You yeah. Know? Um, I remember seeing them in Boston and they were near the the South Station. Yeah. And uh, I went and I played a song. Did you? At the protest. Yeah. They were all living in tents out there. Yeah. Dude, it was a month and a half. Yeah. Well, in New York, or they, maybe they two, held out in New York. Too. Really? And this was back when the cops, yeah, the cops you know, came at like three they in the morning. It out, yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean now they don't. Multiple do that. times, actually. Mm-hmm. I remember it was pretty impressive. I, I thought it was impressive too. I was like, it's a long camping session. <laughs> I don't know. I I was just very interested in the media tent. Mm-hmm. They were running. They had their whole operation, and it was organized. It was high, yeah. but there were hierarchies forming, and really. Yeah, there were, you know, it was... Yeah, of course, but... Kyle, Kyle likes to talk about Occupy like it was, you know, back when left-wing protests were unifying, and you... I'm like, yeah-ish. But I saw the seeds of this, you know, the people clapping with their fingers, and, oh, and uh, like, you know, letting people talk only if they fit a certain... check a certain box. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were seeds of that. It wasn't like today, but there were seeds of this, this hierarchical bullshit, which yeah. works against the... Uh, egalitarianism and all, all of right, it all, right? Right, right? But I saw seeds of that because I reported on it in college, and I, I went down there and I talked to people, and 
I went and reported there. And I also reported, <laughs> I went to some like libertarian right-wing protest too, uh, like a week later. And Gary Johnson was there and spoke, nice. and I talked to him for a bit. <laughs> nice. And so I went to both of them, and the thing that I walked away with was that, ultimately, uh, you know, I, I met people at both, and it was fine, but the Occupy Wall Street, there was an air of hostility. Mm. Just a little one. I wasn't, like, threatened or anything, but they, did, they weren't friendly, mm -hmm. you know? I was a reporter, you know? Right, right. That was back when the left hated the press. <laughs> right. I was, like, a college writer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, hey, guys, like, I'm writing for the paper. They're like, yeah, what do you want, dude? Like, You're, they're like, you are fake news. You're fake news. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember the people at the, the uh, libertarian protest, most of them were elderly. Or yeah, older, yeah, you know, yeah. and they put they had like cheesy rock music playing, some yeah. live band, and I was like, this is so goofy. But they were friendly. Yeah, you know, I remember them just being friendly, and you know, Gary Johnson was a really nice guy. And, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, um, as far as this to bring it back to Barbie, it's it's. Uh, <coughs> I don't think this is an act of occupy, as I remember occupy to be. I don't no, think he's not ideologically motivated. It doesn't seem he's just kind of like he really has just dropped out. He's lost the mm -hmm. will to, I don't know, function in the machine. Even that's hard to say, though, that he's lost. It just doesn't feel like this guy has anything going on emotionally. He well, kind of, he had some kind of inertia, some kind of momentum at yeah. some point that kept him going. And then he just lost it. It, it ran out. And now he's like, well... I just don't even care. I'm just living at this office. Mm -hmm. And the one of the funniest parts, though, the whole story is when the lawyer runs out of options. <laughs> he just leaves the office. And he's like, well, I guess maybe if we can't get him out of the office, we'll, we'll just leave. move the office. <laughs> and then they come to him afterwards and yeah. they say, hey, there's this guy you left behind. Yeah. And he's like, not my problem. But then he feels he feels responsible for him. Yes. And he's, for some reason, he's attached to, to Bartleby. I think it's because he, too, wishes to drop out. Mm. There's something interesting about the, the boss wanting to drop out. Mm -hmm. I think that's really um, dropping out of the, of the race. You right, know? right. Because the boss is the one managing the race. Yeah. He's making sure everybody else is on the wheel. Right. When the boss wants out, that's that's fascinating. It is. Um, it is. It's like Jack Dorsey when he was running Twitter and he turned into Rasputin. Yeah, now he's like a Buddhist, right? And had, had to go. <laughs> to, he does look like Rasputin. Had to India and do all these, like, he was doing 10-day meditation retreats like twice a year. You can tell. When people talk to him, you can tell he's... But after like, the Twitter files, you you can imagine why someone would need to check out. It's like, I can't deal with this. Dorsey is perfectly perfect example of that dropping out because he, he built a monster yeah. that is now well beyond him. Oh, yeah. And, and Musk, somebody who's like trying to tame the beast, but you he can't... He didn't even build it, though. He unleashed it. He unleashed it. and It was there, waiting yeah, that's right. It's not really... It's a case of uh, discovery versus invention. Yes. It's like, yeah, the idea of Twitter was there. It just needed a name and, a, and an entrepreneur. Yeah, because everyone was thinking things, you know? <laughs> and yeah. you give them an outlet, and now it's... It's a mess. 
The kind of language that Twitter, well, really that any message board on the internet has made possible is just like, just crazy. It's, we live in an age of, it's like beyond neologism. It's, I don't know. It's another way of talking entirely Mm -hmm. and thinking. Yeah, Twitter, Twitter to say the least. Yeah, it's um, man, it's a mess of a place. I love it though. You do? I love Twitter. I think it's too much. I'm not real. I don't enjoy conflict. I think it's absolutely hilarious. I think it's a place of conflict. Um, Yeah, but it's a beautiful conflict. You think it's beautiful? Oh yeah, it's like warfare. Warfare is gorgeous. See, I want like real conflict. I want Tedrick and. Did you see that video the other day? <laughs> like, it, like it can be beautiful when it's like machine. But here's the thing: so much hostility, though. Like the the machine warfare is not beautiful; it's brutal. But the mano y mano debate warfare that goes you think on on Twitter. There's debate going on. Yeah, but it's like it's very much like um, Beowulf debate. Where it's braggadocio versus braggadocio. And people are, you know, subtweeting, quote tweeting, all, all these different things, just zinging one another. It's, it's it hilarious. It's fascinating, really. Yeah, yeah no, I, I love it. I know you do. I know Kai does. I know, I know the boys love it. <laughs> I don't think Maxwell's on there. Maxwell's on there. Is he on Twitter? Yeah. Just being too smart for everybody on there. <laughs> I don't think he tweets. I think no, he, he just, just learns. Deserves. Yeah. <laughs> Dude just goes on there and just tells the world out. There is. are certain <laughs> people who just float around Twitter like submarines. I think that's me. If I go, I do have a, I have a sentimental press account. I go on there. Yeah. I just don't like it. They don't broadcast signal. They just like go yeah. and float around there's in some, the dark. There's something about Oh, I just do not enjoy conflict of that kind. I don't like it when somebody's a smartass to me on the internet. I get really pissed really fast. And I have to remind myself that's not really real, you know? You know, I've had people say things like, why don't you try reading a book, pal? You know, I'm like, oh oh, dude, God. I'll kill you. I'll <laughs> <laughs> <Hell>, murder you. <laughs> just tell me your address. <laughs> I don't know, that one really gets gets to me. Why don't you try reading a book, buddy? You know, You're like... like I am loading my AK right <laughs> I, have, I have 500 rounds for people like me, right? <laughs> just straight, straight shooting. Yeah, that's tough. It's but tough. it is funny, though, okay, because I do slightly agree with that sentiment because I think that in the age of the duel, which still exists in certain forms in certain areas, mm. uh, people were a lot more polite to one another. And if you decided to be purposefully impolite to someone, you knew that you were opening yourself up to death or to serious wounding because there could be a duel. It went from the duel society to the armed societies of polite society to the, well, now everybody's online. Right. And And now you can... The cancel society. We're well past any anything being done with guns because, you know, Americans have been talking about 
using their rifles. But it, it's still honor society, actually, because yeah. now it's, your, it's all your reputation. That's true, which is almost worse. Yeah. That actually ties into that. Remember, at the beginning of this, we talked no about... No longer legal. We talked about the, types, the labor transitions. Yeah. Manual to office to right. extraction of you. Yeah. The extraction of you cost now is your reputation. Mm. It's now reputation on the line. Mm-hmm. It's not, and, and that reputation can get you, dude, it can get your bank. You oh, banked. well, you know, OnlyFans is selling of reputation. Yeah. I mean, everything is reputation, but that's really on the nose. OnlyFans is selling of, in my view, is, is the selling of the last semblance of any private life. Of course. We t- which was talked about last time. Yeah. Which is, uh, and it's funny that people can make so much money on it because they have lost. For now. For now. But because you, AI, yeah. guys are sure. going to use AI to make OnlyFans accounts and they're going to outsell. Probably. The real people. Uh, probably true. But, um, and I think that the, the thing that's. Uh, which again be- just becomes curation. It's. That's it's where just we're headed, right? again. Well past any of these Brave New World 1984 yeah. references. We're, we're in this... We've crossed that. Yeah. We're, you know. It's, it's, we're growing meat in labs. We're, we're <laughs> growing babies in tubes. We're, you know... Nobody looks at each other anymore. Nobody right. talks to each other. It's, um, nobody and, reads books. Nobody reads books. I had somebody talk to me the other day as I, you know, I, I defended the show Friends, um, and I was like, "Yeah, people, people like that show because well, they, some people read books. They, but, but <clears throat> people like the show Friends because it's this idealized version of a totally uh, uh, vulnerable friendship that these five people have, six people have with yeah. each other, yeah, uh, six people, right? Yeah, that they have with each other, where they can walk into each other's apartments at any time, eat each yeah. other's food." Tell them anything. Be be most vulnerable. Be most sincere and connected. Yeah, it's beautiful. And and I had these two people try and tell me that their friendships with their friends were like that. And I was just like, you know, it's fucking bullshit. You know, no one has that anymore. Yeah. And that's why people long for it. you. Don't try and tell me. Don't be contrarian because you seem to think that this sh- you know this show is just normal. How people have normal friendships. It's not. Yeah. yeah. It's not. And you're you're lying to yourself. Yeah. And. uh I just thought that was really interesting because... Uh, because who in New York leaves their door unlocked? Well, that's one thing, but... <laughs> that's one, right? That's one thing, but... Th- it, there's so many un- unrealities to it, to that show. But there's... A, but even there's a disconnect between believing that that's real life and... and uh, I think that there was a time where people felt that way and they could do that. Maybe in the 90s, people did have that kind of thing. Yeah. Hey, well, I'm just going to come over. True. You know? In Hawaii, we didn't... We didn't lock our door. It's not about locking the door, though. It's about, like... No, I know. Your space is my space, Manazza. It doesn't matter. I can just show up. When I was living in dorms Mm. in Boston in college, that was... People did that. You know, people would just leave their door open, right? Until they went to bed. And then you you close the door. But otherwise, you, you, you could leave your door open all day, which was cool. That was actually, like... A little golden age of experience at least for me mm. like that bedroom neighborhood idea um but i remember being a kid in hawaii 
and you never you it just didn't exist to message people before you were going to go over to their house or something like you might call them on the phone maybe mm. but usually you just got on your bike or walked yeah as a kid just walked over and knocked on the door is kenny at home <laughs> can yeah, kenny yeah, come I out think, to play but i even think that's gone yeah no that's for sure gone for Who, kids nobody does that who does for that kids yeah but for adults it's it's totally gone yeah now it's rude you know it was, yeah. and it kind of is except for me i i drove over to your house that one time did you unannounced with was email. i here yeah cool best <laughs> <laughs> no, I, i'll do it more often yeah i mean i just it, it's just you gotta uh, try it people yeah. gotta do they gotta bring it back just don't announce don't call people on the phone risk being a little bit of a quote-unquote weirdo to uh surprise people like what what the phone has done is it's gotten rid of surprise in mm. visiting your friends it's gotten rid of the feeling that you can't even do it right so like, why would you do that we have this device yeah you why didn't you me. let me know you could just facetime me dude you don't have to come over yeah yeah you know um, yeah just facetime me yeah I'll put you on the stand. And there are benefits to tech, but it, all <clears> these <throat> things are unleashed. And and I think, uh, I don't know, I think our story here is is can only exist really in the, in the way that it does in that pre-technological revolution. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, though, that the story did exist at that time, being that Melville wrote it. <clears throat> Because it's so, like, I don't know, modern in a way. In a it's way. just so funny. Like, mm-hmm. the sensibility of the story is is very silly, almost. Um, or not even almost. It, it actually is this kind of humor that I just wouldn't expect to exist in that era. Right. It's almost before its time in a way because also if you read letters from people like civil war era or anything like uh, journalism newspaper articles it is it it does not have that sensibility it's so serious really but what about people like ben franklin who are funny it's ben true. franklin's humor in here true true you know, these, these guys are like also, you know, you're reading, uh, I don't know, French literature from the, that same era is pretty pretty whimsical mm. and beautiful. It's not, like, burdened unnecessarily by by too much seriousness. I, I, I almost, I thought, yeah, I think the sort of real period of seriousness came with the 20th century and all mm. the wars and <laughs> death. And then all of the writing from the 20th century is very serious. Hmm. You know, you've got... True. Everything is just now focused on the Depression, the war, World War One, World War Two. Yeah. You don't have anything funny coming out of it. It's my favorite period of literature, but the most you'll get is, like, an occasional humorous page from, like, Hemingway. <laughs> Who's the guy, again, who wrote Ask Jeeves? Um... I cannot believe his name is evading me, eluding me. Ask Jeeves. Yeah, not uh, the search engine. British British writer. Um, 
look look it up. Ask Jeeves. No, I'm I'm staying on this page because oh, I got 20, 29 minutes. Oh my gosh! Till um, I I bid on this book. <laughs> How does that work? Why is it? Why do you have to wait? Uh, I'm just watching it, see what people do. It's at fifteen dollars, but um, I don't want to spend a ton of money on it. Wait, Jeeves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something Jeeves. Well, there was a search engine kind of thing in like 1999 mm. called Ask Jeeves. Yeah, I remember it. But P.G. Wodehouse. Okay. You, you know him? Mm-mm. British humorist. Uh, I have a book of his letters. He actually wrote so many books. I should just buy the the modern... I think there's a modern library collection of his stories um, that is pretty good um but yeah that was an era of humor okay he was born in 1881 uh British humorist and when did he die I don't know life and career what's uh what's 1941 it? who plays the Pink Panther what's that what's his name Steve sorry 1929 stop Pink Panther. Wait, know. nope, that's not right. Do you know what I'm talking about? Pink Panther? Yeah. It, it's... It's his dad and then his wife. Nobody knows when he died. Um... Anyway. I can't, I can't remember. But... It was a humorous era, that time between... Uh... 1860 and 19... What? 14... Like, the West had a lot of laughs. Mm-hmm. And it stopped laughing, though, after the war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just got real serious. Yeah, they yeah. got real serious. It's like 100 million dead. Oh, over, my gosh. Over Between the two wars and the revolutions. I and think... Okay, I, have, uh, okay, wait, I yes. have a thought on that. Just as an aside. I don't think that it's sunk in to the consciousness of... Western people in Europe or America or the Americas how bloody the 20th century was like nobody's really acknowledged it yet bloodiest probably ever ever yeah I mean as far as we know at the hands of humans right I don't I don't really get the sense maybe this is my ignorance but I don't really get the sense that anyone has that there's been a, a a mass conscious acknowledgement of like holy shit can you believe that we did that to each other that we allowed that to happen well rewrote the psyche of the whole entire world yeah and maybe mapped it maybe our minds are just seared against being able to acknowledge how bloody that century was that is now actually beginning to fade into the distance we're in 2023. I think people acknowledge it by wanting to have a life with as little struggle as possible. Sure. For fear, constantly for fear of the next Hitler, the next, right? you know, Franco, the next, um, you know, on the right, the next, uh, the next. Mao, the next Pol Pot. You know, uh, no, he wasn't really a bloody guy. Um, but, you know, um, but people people hold these things even though they're not relevant people anymore. 
Hitler's not relevant. No, no. But by constantly harping on some people want him to be relevant. Yeah, for sure. They need him to be relevant, uh, actually, because be. otherwise they can't defame their opponents. So their identities, though, are built on not so much a, a, a constant remembrance, but on, a, on this striving for something so easy that that's an unfathomable uh, right. reoccurrence. Yeah. Um, so people are, we can just have an easy life. We can have an allowance from the government. We can have, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we can have all this stuff. We can have green everything. Yeah. Not necessarily terrible things to strive for, sure. you know, cleaner environment or whatever. But n- not, they're just not the great struggles of the 20th century, right? Which, you know, you really had a war of ideologies. Just, do you have any thoughts on um, Oppenheimer, the movie? I haven't watched it. Have you? No, it's not out yet. Oh, it's it's uh, it's, it's coming. Christopher Nolan. It's going to be about the bomb. It's being played by um, Celia Murphy. Yes. The Irish actor, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he's an excellent actor. He's yeah. Fantastic. So I'm sure it's going to be good. Oh, yeah. He's, he's one of those people who doesn't isn't going to take a role if it's not going to be very vital. Um, I think it's going to be a very interesting movie. You do? I do. I th- my suspicion is that it could very well be just as psychologically significant as an actual bomb going off hmm. for just the consciousness of mankind really yeah because the knowledge of oh my gosh there's this massive bomb that went off somewhere far away and killed this many people and there's this bomb in existence next to it that could kill X amount of people. Like, that shocked the mind of man when it when people encountered those ideas. The Enola Gay. But seeing it on film in this... Like, I don't know if you've ever watched videos of atom bombs no, going off, awful. but it's like... It's pretty scary. Even, it's an eraser. It just erases everything. Yeah. Even on, like, your phone, you see it, it's like, whoa. That's pretty crazy. The timing's very interesting for this, too. True. Given yes. the threat is probably as high as it's been since the Cold War. So I think seeing that shot beautifully in a cinema <laughs> is going to be really, like... Like, do you remember when uh, The Passion of Christ... By our friend Mel came out in early 2000. Um, by our friend Mel. I say our friend Mel in jest. Quite a movie. Christopher Hitchens loved it. But Pete, did he really? No. No. He hated that movie. What a anyway. Yeah. But it would, like, people came away from seeing that film very moved. It's a powerful And you, when you watch it, you're like, whoa. It's heavy. It really affects you. I think that this movie will probably be similar. You do. In, in its effect on people. That they'll see it and they'll be like, <clears throat> it's going to change them politically. I have some hope for the great drama. Like the power of cinema in full display. Yeah, I have hope for that to be a returning idea because we have been, we have been stuck in the era of superhero, just man-child movies for... True. And for, the superhero you know, movies are interesting too because they're very... 
a theory. Large and explosive, mm-hmm. but meaningless. This is going to be large and explosive and I want them to mean something. Very moving. Because and also very a, meaningful. I was a Marvel and uh, I, I don't think the DC world is as mean, is meaningless as really the, the Marvel just churning out and making a ton of money off of these people, you know, yeah. Captain America movie. And they're good. They're fun movies. You know, yeah. I, like I, I watched John Wick the other night. I'm like, nice. that's which fun. one? <laughs> the third. Nice. <laughs> and I'm waiting for the fourth, believe me. You know, and I, he starts moving a little slower he, in the third one. He does. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's like 58 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Damn. But, um, I'm like, I t- when it was over, I said to Julian, I was like, that's just a fun movie to yeah. watch and never discuss because you're not going to discuss anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you just watch they it. They use gold to pay for things. Like, right, right, yeah. I yeah. like that. It, it's Underground hotel. Yeah. Do yeah. those exist? They have to exist, I'm sure. It does do. show you. I mean, it's. But realistically, though, those movies don't have. They're like diehard. They don't really have any value beyond when you leave the theater. Um, yeah, it's just candy. It's, it's nice. candy. It is. It, and and uh, don't get me wrong, the superhero movies. I don't like those ones, so. well, but I like the John Wick candy. But that's a, that's a good movie. It's still candy, but it be, but you, the candy. It's a martial be. arts movie. That's what it right. is. What John Wick? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. Uh, but the candy shouldn't be the the base of your food pyramid, and that's what's happened yeah. to our culture. Is the candy, yeah. literally too? But the candy is. Uh, yeah, they, they literally consuming. inverted the pyramid, they even even the pyramid. in our literature. But I did think, and to bring it back to Melville. I know you haven't seen this yet, but I, but given what you're talking about with Oppenheimer, ah, uh, the whale, the whale, which I watched recently, was excellent, and it was, it, it was really like a play. It took place in one room, the whole movie. Really, it really did. It took place. Well, yeah, pretty much. If not one room, it was the hallway down to the next room, which was never fully. Um, closed off from the main room, the living room of the apartment that this oh, takes place in. Interesting. Um, so it really, you watched this and the characters come in and out as if you're watching a, a play. Oh, wow. And I found that, I noticed that right away. I said, you know, within 20 minutes of the movie, I said, we're not leaving here. Interesting. It doesn't go to the, this other house or this other street. It, it's just in the... In oh, the wow. I thought, wow, that's really an interesting way to, to hit a movie in 2023 because mm-hmm. that requires... An audience well, and to keep it to interesting, care, to keep it interesting, and it was, and it was really, it was really that drama. That it was a full drama, full wow. experience. Huh. And with Oppenheimer, it's like, man, maybe, maybe there's this coming back. People want yeah. the well. Hey, Tar was really good. What was I it? I saw that recently. Tar with um, Kate Blanchett. Mm. I recommend it. It's good. You go to the movies? No, not really. I. I pull them up on Amazon oh. Prime. There's a theater right up the street in town, you know. I know, but sometimes it, they have good sometimes stuff. Sometimes it's just too much to to move around, you know. Ju- Juliana loves to go just by herself at night. She's, really? Yeah, she'll just sit in there. And she loves the movies. Love it. It's her favorite thing. That's legit. Yeah. I, really? You do that? <laughs> she's on her headphones on. Yeah, she d- she does. She's like, I'm going to go to the movies tonight. Nice. She hasn't done it in a while, but if I don't want to go, she's like, I'm still going to go. You know, that's legit. I, I think that's it's cool. cool. Yeah, I think there's something cool. to just that. Yeah. When we went and saw the whale, I think it was a Wednesday night or something. Yeah. We went to Asheville. We, there was one other person in the whole theater. Nice. In the whole thing. Nice. I was like, man, this is weird. Do people not do this anymore? 
one person, it's like four seats to my left. The whole the, the whole theater was ours. Wow. I thought, wow. I remember this was part of the American cultural experience. Yeah. The movies. I know it's a weird thing. I used thing to go like to the that. movies all the time as a kid. As a kid? I don't know if young people do that anymore. Even in high school, I went to the movies a lot. Because you have to put this away when you True, go to the movies. right. And I don't know if people can do it. Right. You're like, oh, I got to check Twitter. This is slowing down. But, yeah, um... I'll see Oppenheimer though, because I think uh, I think it could be. I'm almost scared genre. to see it, because I I think it's going to be so moving. You do, yeah. No, why? Because it's one thing to hear about <laughs> nuclear bombs; it's another thing to see them really presented to you, mm. like as an idea that you should really take seriously and Christopher Nolan you know bends the earth right in some of his movies and uh, he reverses time you know um, travels through time he's really good at showing you the the essence or getting like making you approach the essence of a thing or p- pointing to the essence of a thing right and I think that it'll probably be, yeah, you know, people could end up in therapy because they go to this movie. It's so well, moving. <clears throat> They'll need to take ayahuasca trips. I think that the, the idea of dying, even in war, even under brutal violence, is still something. Uh, even Saving Private Ryan was very moving when people saw right. that movie. But those people are dying in a way that it can be measured like getting hit with bullets and yeah the, the nuclear bomb erased people yeah just erased them yeah in some cases it just left them as shadows yeah the actual shadows on walls yeah because of the way light just worked with it and, and to it, it's tough for people to process the idea of complete instant erasure right you know it's like a, it, it's way different than dying even a violent death yeah, it's like hell that. visiting you in an instant. It's and almost, but it's almost like those things don't exist at all. There are people who think that they're fake. No, no, it's almost like dying on the beach in Normandy and saying Pride Ryan, you know, as it's as it's shown, is hellish experience. Mm-hmm. Being erased by a nuclear bomb is is just the presence of oblivion. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Uh, no time to contemplate it. It's just here's oblivion. Goodbye. Yeah. Shut, shutting Probably down. by the time you even like you wouldn't even feel the pain. Right. You don't have time to process the hellishness of it. It's right. Just, That's crazy. It's really wild. Yeah. So scary. Anyway, how do we how do we want to wind this up? Bartleby the Scrivener. It was. Delightful. Yeah, it's I'll a say short, that. Short story. I do want to read a little bit more Melville pretty soon. Um, he has this Tahitian tale. These two guys go to Tahiti. I'm forgetting the name. Gosh, I'm forgetting everything tonight. So to, am I. I need to take some lion's mane. But uh, yeah, it it seems like a, a fun book. Like, I kind of want to hang out in the South Pacific. I have a James Missioner piece on, called, mm. I think it's called the South Pacific. Uh, the Melville piece. I have a few short histories. These are just 
things pro- I'll probably read that talk about the history of the of the South Pacific and the Polynesian peoples and you know celestial navigation and all that but uh yeah I'm preparing to embark yeah I'm a little uh that's interesting Gargon right the artist the painter yeah who died in Tahiti didn't he he painted a lot there well he painted a lot there but I think he even died there no is it Gagan or Gagi? I never know how it's pronounced. Gagi? You're probably right. You just did the thing when someone knows how it's supposed to be pronounced. No, I have no <laughs> idea. I'm not sure. I, I never know. know. I've, I mean... I thought it was Gagan. Really? But it oh, might it be. be Gagi. Yeah, Gagi. Someone... Arrogant son of a bitch. Someone tell us what it is. <laughs> oh, it was definitely so, Gagi. So, um, you said how do you want to end it? Well... First of all, this week we have our books coming in. Your book came in. Next week we're gonna uh, next episode. I don't even know when it's gonna be. It's gonna be soon. Is gonna be Bukowski's Women, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm excited. I've read this before. I have not. I think this is gonna make for an interesting. You know, discussion. I also, it's funny though that you recommended it because. I'm in a small. That's a that's a that's a strong word. Reading, yo, know, that you recommended it. <laughs> it it's I, I have suggested that we should do this. I don't know if I'm like you should read this. This no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> to be fair, you didn't recommend it, but you we were thinking of timely topics, and we thought ah, a Bukowski piece would be mm. good. I'm in a like. A very casual reading group with oh. two other people on Instagram. Really? And they're gonna read it too? No. My friend recommended hot water music. I, I had that collection of stories. Yeah. Short stories. Yeah. I read them, yeah. I read them years ago. Yeah. And then there's the gambler and the double. I remember which this Dostoevsky. The, this story I'm not gonna go into Bukowski Lane now. Uh, in that called Turkey Neck Morning. <laughs> That's a funny name. It's about, I can it's only about imagine. Dick, yeah. yeah, I mean, about waking up with a heart on, right? And um, and look, we're going to be talking Bukowski. It's going to get rough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we'll save it. But I, I just remember that. We'll story. put the little R on the episode <laughs> or whatever it is. Oh, uh, it's just I, I, you're either going. I won't. I, you've, oh, it's an E. You've never read Bukowski's prose. No, I've only read oh, his dude. poems. Oh, his poems are way different. His prose is sick. Like? 30. Ah. But it's, I just wonder, I, you're either going to be like, this was a waste of my time, or you're going to be like, this was awesome. I, w- I really think you're going to approach it either way. I don't think you're going to be like, eh. Because he, he, he was a dirty old man, you know? Well, you know, it is the human experience. And that isn't to say that I want to read all of everyone's nonsense. Like, I got recommended this book last year by this author named New Jush Kai <laughs> even saying Kai's name after that is weird but Kai I think will know who this guy is oh really and his writing is vile really I read probably 40 pages and I was like I just can't even do this cause I know that I'm gonna die so I took the book out in the backyard and I burned it <laughs> did you really? yeah Little, he had a ceremonial I was just like, was this a, is just such rubbish. I can't even. Writer? Yeah, yeah, it's tough, man. 
It thought. was just one of those things where someone's trying to be profound by being gross. And I, I don't yeah. believe in that. No, and that's the thing. I think that's why you might really like Bukowski, because it is kind of gross. Sure. He's not reaching for profoundness. But the thing about Bukowski is that, and I saw this in his poetry, is that he's done his homework. So he's kind for of sure. earned the right to be subversive, where there are people to break the rules, essentially. Yeah. The quote-unquote rules. Which is different from people who go into art without paying their dues by doing their homework, and they just start breaking rules right away, but they don't even know what the rules now, are, doing actually. the homework, though, isn't necessarily they read the right books. It's also just a lived experience. Sure. You know, actually, that's a that's like a Descartes, you know, sort of yeah. belief. He read, like, Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. Uh, according to... Um, what's his name? Bertrand Ru- Russell. Oh. He read like Aquinas in the Bible and was like, I don't need to read any more books. And, um, and based his philosophy on how he, on living. Yes. You know, I think there's a lot, I don't believe you, you know, it's the cliche of you can't well, sit down to write without having lived and without having digested good material. Yeah. If you at least read the Gospels, you have read the foundation. <laughs> For sure. <clears throat> but. For sure. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm always, whenever we are picking books to do or anything, I'm always thinking about episode titles. And, you know, that's my own little vanity. But I want it to be good. I want it to be interesting. I yeah. want, I want the, uh, I the collection be. to be tasty. I think it will be because... Are you bidding on this book or what? <laughs> yeah, I have five minutes. I... I just we'll end it on this. I, I I don't think he was ever reaching to be profound. You know, if you read any of his books, it's really not. He's not trying to teach you a lesson. Hmm. He's just telling you something. Yeah. And when you reach for the profoundness in a story like women, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So next week or next episode, whenever that is, it will be this coming week actually. But that's what we're gonna do. All right. Signing off. American Sublime out. <laughs> <laughs>